Okay, we are in the sixth chapter of Matthew and what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to start with just a question. And the question goes like this. Which would you rather choose? To look good or to look bad? I mean, it's like, yeah, right, you know. And I mean, you know, who wouldn't want to, you know, look good? And someone's probably saying, well, it depends on who's looking. You know, sometimes we don't care, you know. And, and then someone might ask, why would you want to look bad? Well, if you were in prison, I mean, you know, you might want to look bad. I'm a bad dude. And, but, for the, but for the most part, we have this built-in desire to look good. Okay? And, and honestly, that's not a bad thing. I believe God put that in our hearts. He designed us to look good for him. He designed us to reflect his glory. That's why we, and to experience and reflect his glory, experience God, reflect Christ. It's a built-in instinct that we have because we are his creation. We are his sons and daughters, and we have that. And so there's nothing wrong to want to look, at least, if not good, at least decent, at least acceptable. At least we don't want people to, you know, look at us in horror, cover their children's eyes, and run, you know. We don't want that. We, we want to, you know, we just kind of want to say, yeah, I, I, you know, I look good for God. And that's the idea. But here's what happens. Apart from God, that desire, that instinct, gets a little warped, it gets twisted. Instead of looking good for God, we end up kind of looking good for ourselves. And instead of God defining what looks good, we find the people around us defining what looks good. And so I begin catering to those who I want to impress and who I want to look good for. And it becomes a dark and destructive desire that many of us struggle with at some level. At some level, we all have that pride and ego thing going on, and we just want to look good, you know, for, our, for others. And uh, we see this, and by the way, this is not just in the world, this is in the church, especially in the church. If there's any place people struggle with looking good, it's in the church. It really is. And because we, we put on that masks that Brad was talking about last week, and and we see this in the first verses of Matthew, because that's what this first section is about. This Jesus warns us in Matthew 6.1, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And, you know, that temptation exists everywhere. You know, on Facebook, on Twitter, and TikTok, everywhere. And we see it, but it especially happens in church. And so uh, one question we can ask is... Who do I want to attract people to? Myself or to God? And uh, there are ways to act and adorn ourselves that really attract people to God. There's a way to do it where we're not drawing so much attention to ourselves. Oh, Doug's a cool guy. No, they look at Doug. Actually, look at Doug and say, there must be a God. You know, they're kind of doing that kind of thing. But whatever, you know, we're pointing people to God. However, there's also a way we can look and behave and try to look good. It doesn't bring attention to God. It brings attention to ourselves and actually can keep people from experiencing God. And so Jesus' message in this passage today is simply this. Don't look good. Get real. Don't look good. Get real. Because when we get real, that's when we can look good for God. That's the idea. So we have to get over this thing about how we appear to others, worrying about impressing others, worrying about what other people will think, because that's not God's concern. What we're concerned about is bringing people to God. And to do that, I just have to be real in Christ. And that's what this is about. That's what this whole message is about. 
Now, Jesus goes on and gives us three examples of this in this passage. First one is verse 2. So when you give to the needy, so back to giving, what we just heard about. Do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. Now, in those days, I, I don't think, I mean, it's possible that, that, you know, the people with a lot of money had an entourage of trumpets. It's possible. But probably what this meant was, in those days, they had offering boxes like our offering box back there, except they were oftentimes in the shape of a trumpet. And they were made out of metal. Okay? And so, when you put, and they didn't have paper money. So when you put coin in the metal trumpet, it made a lot of sound. And you know that if someone had a, a dollar to give, they wouldn't put in a silver dollar. They'd put in 20 nickels. Because <laughs> it sounded better. You know, it sounded impressive. And you kind of get the idea that that's what was going on. People would come up and get their money bag out. And like, wow, they're giving a lot of money. And, you know, that's probably, they wanted to look good. But Jesus goes on, so how do we get real? Jesus goes on in verse 3 and tells us how to get real. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now for the most part, my left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing anyhow, so that's not a problem for me. That's just, I'm not the most coordinated guy. But we get Jesus' point. The idea is to you know, keep it between you and God. Now, don't get legalistic. Some people go off the charts on this and understand that it's, it's about our motivation. And, uh, you know, if you're, unless you're given cash, you know, the person processing the payment or giving is going to know. And I got I, I to tell you, God's not up there with his clipboard going, nope, that doesn't count. You know, it's just not the scenario. God knows your heart. It's the motivation. And at this church, by the way, just so you know, the only person who knows what money's given is our bookkeeper. And it's we have it's confidential. We just don't know. And so that's just kind of how we do things around here. But the genuineness of our relationship is seen this way in how we behave, how we act, when no one is looking, when no one can see us. To get real, that's the measuring stick right there. How do you behave at home? Is the way you behave here and the way you behave at home drastically different? Uh-oh. You know, I think of you know, years of going to church early, and I know the fights we've had on the way in the car with two kids. And then, you you know, it's like, you don't feel like going to church, you don't feel like worshiping, and you come in the door and you, hi, everybody, you know, we, we know the routine. we got to kind of like, the whole growth in Christ thing has to, you know, bring it, making it even, making our private world the same as our outward world. But, you know, something else in this passage that, you know, raises a question is, Jesus says when we give in secret, God will reward us. See, I'm wondering, what's the reward? What, what is God's reward? Hold on to that. Jesus gives us another example with the issue of fasting in verse 16. Jump ahead to verse 16. He says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and they show men their fasting. Oh, I'm so hungry. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward in full. Now, with us Americans, this is not a real issue because we never fast. I mean, this is just something, we think fasting is street language for speeding. You know, that's, and he was fat. We just don't understand it. And if we do fast, we want everybody to know. We post it on Facebook. We'll do a TikTok video. It's like, man, that's a big deal. 
we do it when we diet. Why not when we're fasting? And, so, and God is saying, no. You know, keep it between you and God. Don't let people on. Act like you're fine and dandy and keep it between you and God. Because God's not impressed by our outward shows of righteousness. So he says, when you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting. But only to your father who's unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you in secret. And again, the issue, you know, the principle is this. Our relationship, the genuineness of our relationship with God is how we relate to God when no one's watching. When no one sees us. You know, don't look good. Get real. But once again, there's this promise of a reward. If you do this, you'll be rewarded. What, I'm curious, what is the reward? The best example uh, Jesus gives us involves prayer. And it's in verse 5. And he says in verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Again, how do you pray when no one is watching? And, uh, you know, the neat thing about this is when I... Now, again, don't get legalistic. You know, it, this doesn't mean we should never pray in public. Okay. It, what it means is when I pray in public, I don't have to be showy. I don't have to oppress anybody. And I know some of you have never prayed in public before. And you, I don't know. I don't, you don't have to worry about what people think when you pray in public because God doesn't care. Just be yourself. Talk to God as you would if you were with him by yourself. That's the idea. So we don't have to worry about that. It's, it's, it's just be yourself. Be real. But in this particular test, Jesus adds a twist. And it's in verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, there's a couple things going on here. And the first one is kind of, you know, what we already talked about. Sometimes when we do pray publicly, we try to impress people with our prayers. Sometimes we try to impress people with the length of our prayers. Have you ever been held hostage by someone who prays on and on and on? Raise your hand if you've been, okay. If you're a new Christian, you haven't been out there, you know, hopefully you'll never have that. But some of us who've been in church a long time, we've been in meetings where someone just took over, and an hour later, you're, you're like, you know, and so you're just wondering. And uh, another way we impress people by our prayers is by our prayer language. You know, have you ever gotten lost with someone's these and thous and stacked adjectives of how glorious and holy and majestic and power? I mean, it just goes on, and, you know, it goes on and on. And then, and then sometimes we impress people with our spiritual fervor. And this is not all bad, but sometimes we kind of, it's, it's for show. Oh, Father, 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 oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Spirit, Spirit, Spirits, we implore you. We beg of you. Help us on our trip to the mall today. <laughs> and, and you see, it's, it's showy. It's, it's, just, it's superficial. It's surface. And, you know, God's not impressed with that kind of prayer. And, you know, and, and here's the question you ask. When people say praise God at the end of your prayer, are they praising God because of what you pray or because you stopped praying? I mean, some of us have had that. We, you, know, you have that. And so, again, the first principle is don't do it for show. 
It's for God. But there's something else going on here with this, this prayer. Sometimes we think if we follow a certain prayer formula, we can get God to do what we want. And, and that too looks pretty cool. And so we have certain ways of praying that impresses, that we think is going to impress God. And uh, now there's this, you know, some people think, in fact, other cultures practice, there's prayer, they think, Mindless repetition of a prayer will get God to do what you want. And so other cultures, other religions, they just do, they just kind of, in fact, they have prayer wheels where you can put a prayer on a wheel. And the idea is every time it spins, that's, that's going to God. So you're racking up the repetition. Really? God's not impressed with that. And so we have all these weird ideas and it's all about show. It's all about impressing those around us. It's all about manipulating God. And you see, God's saying, don't get look good, get real. Especially when you pray to God. Now Jesus doesn't leave us hanging here. He goes on and gives us the famous prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. He kind of gives us an outline of what a prayer should look like when we pray to God in secret. And there's six P's in this prayer. I call them the six P's of prayer. And uh, I'm going to shift to the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer because that's what I memorized. Some of you probably did that. And so let's look at the Lord's Prayer real quick, starting with verse 9. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So when I pray this prayer, and I do this every day, actually, I start out just by acknowledging God and coming into his presence. That's the first P, God's presence. Just be present with the God of the universe, your creator, your daddy father, and you just come into his presence, and you just take some time to you know, meditate on how big he is, how loving he is. I mean, it just, I've been reading through Genesis and I'm reading about Abraham and it just awes me that the God who spoke to Abraham is the God I'm speaking to right now. So you just come into his presence and sometimes I get stuck here. I get stuck here because, you know, I, that can just hold in your tracks, stop in your tracks of how big God is. So that, that's the first one. God said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Oftentimes, that's just what I need. I come into God's presence. I recognize he's in control. He loves me. I can rest. That's why I get stuck there. It's like, I don't need to go any further. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is where I pray about God's purpose. I align myself with God's purpose. And God's purpose is to bring his kingdom on earth. That's his mission. That's why he sent Jesus to establish his kingdom. And when I pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven, I'm aligning myself with that. That becomes my purpose. That becomes my mission. That becomes our mission. That's why we are here. And so we align ourselves with God's purpose. And seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Right there, you don't need to go further. But Jesus goes on in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I simply ask God to provide my needs. Now the catch here is I have to be willing to let God define my needs. See that? That happens. So when I go to God, I say, God, I think I need this, and I think I need this, but I have to trust that you know what I need better than I know what I need, and you are going to take care of me no matter what. So this prayer is not just asking God to give us what we think we need, but to trust him to give us what we need. And so this is where we intentionally reaffirm our trust and our faith in, in him that he's going to do exactly what he says. 
Like Philippians 4.19 says, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches, Christ Jesus. We affirm that. I affirm that. And I, I put away the fear and the worry that, man, I'm not going to get the car fixed today. Oh, man, this is going to happen. This, no, God's going to provide. Now, something else to think about here. One thing I need more than anything else is to know God's will and do God's will. And so when I pray this prayer, it's not just that God will provide you know, food for the table or money for my bank account or whatever. The most important thing I need throughout the day is the ability to hear God's voice and leading and the ability to do it. That is food. And we learn this because Jesus actually said in John 4, 34-35, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So when I pray for bread, I'm praying to know and do his will. That's part of that piece. God, guide me today. Help me make sure I'm following your tracks. Then we go on to verse 12. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is such a huge piece of our prayer life. We can't move on if there's unforgiveness going on at any type of level. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So at this point, I do two things. Sometimes I have to admit or confess something I've done wrong. Some, some way I've hurt somebody. In fact, this week, I think I behaved in a way to a brother that I'm not happy with, so I'm going to have to make a phone call this week and make amends, get right. And, you know, so I've been praying about that. What's the best way to do this? And, and so I do that. Who have I wronged? I think about that. But the second thing I have to do here is think about those people who have harmed me, at least I've perceived it harmed me, and I'm angry at, or resentful, or have a grudge. Because God, that'll block your prayer. Unforgiveness will block your relationship with God. And so at that point, I have to say, God, help me do what I need to do to let go of this and offer them the same forgiveness that you have offered me in Jesus. And that becomes a huge bit. And sometimes we get stuck right there. We can't go further because we need to forgive. And sometimes we need God's help to forgive. We need God's help to forgive. And this thing of forgiveness is so important. Jesus gives us this huge footnote to the Lord's Prayer that many people don't read. And it's in verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Dang. Now, there's some theological issues with that one. Mike and I have been kind of talking about that. And I, I not, I'm just going to, that's what Jesus said. You can deal with it. I'm not going to try to explain that. Yeah, that's all it is. Verse 13, Jesus goes on, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Of course, it's vitally important we pray for God's protection. So we have God's presence, God's purpose, God's provision, God's pardon, and now God's protection. And, uh, you know, Psalm 91, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I'll protect him for he acknowledges my name. And this is where we, you know, say, God, we live in a hostile world. Things are not always hunky-dory for us. Things, you know, we need your protection from the devil. We need protection from the world. We need protection from ourselves. We just, we need your covering. And we pray for God's protection. And uh, some people at this point will focus on putting on the, the, the full spiritual armor of Ephesians 6. And they armor up. But we ask God to protect us, and he will. 
And then finally, verse 13, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And some translations don't have this. That's understandable. But this has always been part of the Lord's Prayer. And, in, and I like this piece because we come full circle. We're back to lifting God up. We're back to acknowledging him. But at this point, we're actually praising him and giving him thanks. And I always like to end my prayer time, my devotional times, with praise and thanksgiving. It's a good way to end. And, and that's what's happening here. And uh, it's kind of like in Revelation 19, the last book of the Bible. Yeah, at the end, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for the true and just are his judgments. And that's, that's what we're talking about. We just lift him up and praise him. That's a good way to close. And, and see, I use this prayer uh, template every morning. I, don't, I hardly ever miss. For years and years, I pray the, I pray the six Ps. God's praise, God's pleasure at the end. And uh, it's necessary for my spiritual survival. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. I can relate to that. And the first job of each morning consists in shoving them all back, in listening to that other voice, that taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And that's exactly what we do in our prayer and privately between me and God. And that's what makes us real. And when I become real, I don't have to worry about looking good because God takes care of that. God takes care of that. And, uh, but before I close, I want to come back to verse 6. And he says, when you pray, go into your room, room okay, prayer, some say prayer closet, Close the door, pray to your fathers unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Once again, what do you think the reward is? I'm not going to tell you. I probably, you know, I've got my ideas. So I've got a Facebook prayer challenge here. I, I schedule a post. Hopefully it's up there by now. But it has this verse, and I'm, I'm going to encourage you to comment and tell me what you think the reward is. Okay? from praying in secret and giving in secret and fasting in secret. And, uh, but I think C.S. Lewis, again, gives us another clue. He says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And so, don't look good. Get real. Amen? All right. Let's all be standing for a closing word of prayer. Father, you are so awesome. And we are just but children, and you're just teaching us how to have adult relationships with you and with each other. And continue to guide us and teach us through your scripture and help us to apply what we learn. Help us not to just go out of here as forgetful hearers, but as doers of your word. Help us to experience you more deeply so that we can reflect you more brightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.